0: Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at coreorg live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words of Scripture. Our passage today comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Then King David said to the whole assembly, I have dedicated my own private treasure of gold and silver to my God's temple. Who else then will volunteer, dedicating themselves to the Lord today? Then the leaders of ancestral houses made their freewill offerings. The people rejoiced at this response because they had presented their offerings to the Lord so willingly and wholeheartedly. King David also rejoiced greatly, Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and belongs to you. Now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Then David said to the whole assembly, bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the King. On the next day, they offered sacrifices and they ate and drank before the Lord on that day, with great joy. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of scripture.
1: This is an exciting weekend at Church of the Resurrection. We are returning our commitment cards today in our annual stewardship campaign, but also for our capital campaign in which we're trying to create spaces for future generations, for our kids and their kids, for Gen Z and the alpha generation and those who come after them. And it is just an exciting day. By the time we get to the end of the service, we'll bring forward our commitment cards in our physical locations. And online, we're gonna be inviting you to join us as well. But I want to begin by talking about King David. So King David was the greatest king Israel ever knew. Just a little bit of a reminder about his story. He was the seventh or eighth son of Jesse, depending on which book of the Bible you're reading, seventh or eighth son of Jesse. He was a shepherd boy, grew up in Bethlehem, a small village. He took care of the sheep. And, And at one point, Samuel came to Jesse and said, one of your boys is going to become the next king of Israel. Nobody would have picked David. No one would have picked David. Uh, he, he, was, uh, he was one who played instruments. He enjoyed playing uh, what was an ancient version of a harp. He enjoyed writing poetry. He wrote psalms. You know that 73 of the 150 psalms in the Bible are attributed to King David. Uh, he was uh, handy with a slingshot. So at one point when the Israelites were confronting the, the Philistines and the giant Goliath, you know, dared the, the Israelites said, you know, if one of you is courageous enough to fight me, if you win, we'll become your slaves. But if I win, you'll become our slaves. And everybody was terrified. And David goes out there, little shepherd boy, and he takes a slingshot and he just crushes. Goliath with a with a shot right in his forehead, and then destroys the giant, and the Philistines go fleeing. This is David. David grows up to become a man that that is uh, becomes the king of Israel. He is a courageous warrior. Uh, he is a bit of a womanizer. He is a uh, he is a man who is morally conflicted at times. He often does what's right in the sight of the Lord, and and God says that He considers him a man after His own heart. And at the same time, in one terrible incident, he he violates probably five of the ten commandments in one fell swoop is horrible, and so he struggles, and yet God forgives him and, and gives him a new beginning, and and, uh, and to this day in Israel, the state of Israel, the symbol of Israel is the Star of David. 3,000 years after he lived, the people still remember David. Hotels named after him, streets named after him, how important he was as the shepherd and king of Israel. Well, in today's story, we're gonna come to the end of David's life. So in 1 Chronicles chapters 22 through 29, we find the very end of David's life. And David is concerned about passing on his faith to his son and to future generations. And he's very interested in building the temple a temple for God. So they'd only had the tent of meeting. It had been around from the time of Moses. It was tattered. And and he said, now that we're settled in Jerusalem, I want us to build a temple to God, a for God, for God's name. And when people come over the hills that surround Jerusalem, they're gonna see that temple before they see anything else. It'll be a place for people to come and worship. It'll be a place where generations hear about God, know God. And he was right because that temple, which was built after he died in the year 957 BC, remained standing until the year 586 BC. From 957 BC to 586 BC, the temple stood that he had prepared for. Now, David was told by God, you can't build a temple yourself because you have too much blood on your hands, but your son will build the temple. So David, as he's nearing death, he has the architects drop the plans and what we're going to read about today and hear about today from our scriptures is what happens as he prepares the people for the building of the temple. Interestingly enough, Solomon's temple, uh, nobody knows exactly what it looks like, but 1 Kings chapter 6 describes it. And I thought you might enjoy seeing this, uh, this three-dimensional rendering of what the temple might have looked like. This comes from a man named Daniel Smith, and uh, he's a professor at, uh, at um, Brigham Young University. Take a look. Now, it's fascinating that 1 Chronicles, when David is describing you know, the temple that he wants to build, doesn't give any of that information about what the temple looks like. That's gonna appear in 2 Chronicles in 1 Kings chapter 6, because the point of the stories that we're looking at today from 1 from Chronicles 22 to 29 is not about what the temple looked like. It was about what was going on in David's heart. David desperately wanted to pass on his faith to future generations. He wanted to make sure that Israel knew that God had created them, had given them existence, had given them this land. He wanted them to know that. He wanted them to have faith in the generations that were yet to come. He wanted his son to know that faith. And so if you turn to First Chronicles chapter 28, uh, verse 9, we read these words, Solomon, my son, acknowledge your father's God and serve him with enthusiastic devotion because the Lord searches every mind and understands the motive behind every thought. If you seek him, I love this, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will reject you forever. You hear the urgency in David's voice. And I'm guessing many of you understand what this feels like. You want your children to know faith. If you're a person of faith, you want your children. If you have children, you want your grandchildren or your nieces or nephews, you want them to know faith. You want future generations to know faith. Even if you don't have kids, you know there's a deep desire that we pass on this faith to future generations. In fact, this entire month, that's been the theme, is how are we passing on the faith to generations yet to be born? And the buildings that we hope to build or, or, or renovate are all about, In the playgrounds, all of this are all about creating spaces for future Generations. All right, so then David stands before the people of God, uh, the Israelites, and he's standing there in Jerusalem on the place where the temple is going to be built. And he says, God has given this vision to me. I'm giving it to my son. I'm giving you the the architectural renderings and the architect's uh, plans. I'm now going to give you the resources, or at least part of them, to build the temple. And so this is what we read in chapter 29, verse 3. David says, In front of all the people, I have dedicated my own private treasure of gold and silver to my God's temple. And if you read in 1 Chronicles 29, it's a massive amount of money. It's a huge sum of resources that he's committing from what he has, passing it or giving it to the temple and the priest to build this temple, and to his son to build the temple. And then after he's made his declaration of what he's doing, this is what happens next. He says, who else then will volunteer dedicating themselves to the Lord today? And he says, I've done my part. Now, how about the rest of you? And immediately we find that the leaders of the ancestral houses made their free will offerings, 29 verse six. And so the people see what their king has done and the the leaders of the people, they begin to give and they give generously. And the rest of the people see what's happening. And then we read the people rejoiced at this response because they had presented their offerings to the Lord so willingly and wholeheartedly. King David also rejoiced greatly. I wanna pause there for just a moment and recognize that as they were making sacrifices, what they felt was joy. There is joy and sacrifice. There is joy and generosity. That is just a fact. And when people see that, they feel joy when they see other people being generous. And presumably the people, the rest of the people began to give generously because they saw their leaders and their king giving generously. So you get to verse, uh, chapter 29, verse 17, and David says to God, I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Three times in this short passage, we find joy. There is joy in generosity. There's joy in sacrifice. We feel that in all kinds of sacrifices. When we sacrifice for our children or our loved ones, at Christmas time, do you get more joy from what you give or from what you receive? And the answer is true for almost all of us. We get more joy in what we give than what we receive. That's what Jesus said is more blessed to give than to receive. This week, I was studying some of the papers that have been written, you know, scientific papers, peer-reviewed journals, looking at the impact of generosity on our lives. One of those papers took 350 others and summarized the findings. And I want to share with you a little of what what I read this week, things that you probably already know. So we find that generosity leads to greater joy in life, greater happiness in life, greater life satisfaction. People who are generous are happier in life. They feel more satisfied with their life. We find that generosity leads to better relationships, better health. It leads to less stress. Generosity leads to marital happiness, it increases in marital, ha- marital happiness. When a spouse is generous, when you're married to a generous person, you find yourself more in love with that person. When two people are generous and, and towards each other, you find that that love continues to grow and that, it's, that there is a lowered risk of divorce in families where husband and wife are generous Towards each other, generous both with gifts, but also with our time and and with the and with what we do to serve each other. So marital satisfaction goes up with generosity. Generosity makes people more attractive to potential mates. If you're single and you want to be dating somebody, you're interested in this, you know, it's not that you show off your generosity. It's just that if you're by nature generous, you're giving to other people, you're generous in, in how you look at what's happening in the world. People are drawn to that. And you understand that. Would you rather hang around with and have as a friend somebody who is greedy and stingy, or would you rather have a friend who is generous to other people? And you know the answer to that. We all are drawn to people who are more generous. People who are are, uh, more generous, older adults who are more generous, live longer and they report greater life satisfaction in their old age when they are more generous than the people who are less generous. And studies have found this, that spending more money on yourself does not result in greater happiness most of the time. There's a little bit of an increase in happiness when you spend more money on yourself. What you find is that if you really want more bang for the buck, you look at how can I be more generous and you're going to find that your, your happiness in life, your satisfaction in life goes up. Now, what David found that day was that his example, you know, became a witness to other people. They were drawn to want to do what he'd done. Generosity begets generosity. It inspires generosity. And that's what happened. David gave generously. Then the leaders gave generously because they were inspired by his example. And then the people saw and they gave generously. And in all of those cases, there was joy. Now, today is our Capital Campaign Commitment Weekend on our annual stewardship campaign commitment weekend. We're going to be filling out a pledge card when we get to the end of the service. Those of you online will be doing this online. If this is your church family and you want to participate, those of you in person, if this is your church family, we hope you'll participate as well. And I want you to know we have people who have committed in previous when we built the sanctuary that I'm standing in, two of the lead gifts came from people who had never been in our buildings up to this point. They lived in other parts of the country who said we want to invest. And what's happening at Resurrection? Because you're changing the world, and we want to be a part of that. This campaign so far, we've had people who brought uh, gifts by parents of of uh, people in our congregation who go to other churches, but have said, "We want to invest." We heard Pastor Adam talk about this on TV or online. We want to be a part of this. And so, there's something happens when you when you see this happening, you hear the generosity of others, you say, "I want to be a part of it too. I want to invest in changing the world." So. But it's also possible for us to to kind of watch and see what's happening and go, well, you know what, I don't have any kids, I don't have any teenagers. This is not for me. Or or, you know, I don't really care about the chapel or I don't care about these things. Or I, you know, I may not even think it's a good idea. And so it's easy for us sometimes to, you know, look and especially when money's involved, it's easy for us to say, yeah, I don't really want to be a part of that. And and I understand that. I mean, I feel that sometimes too in my own life. And so it's easy for that to happen. I just want to encourage you, don't miss out. Don't miss out on the blessing of being a part of creating spaces and and, and then watching what happens as a result of your investment. So I remember years ago, a pastor who I really looked up to, Jim Buskirk, he was pastor at First United Methodist Church of Tulsa. And he told the story of how he and five of his friends, pastors, all went to Colorado. They rented a house on a mountainside in Colorado. Now, it wasn't next to the resort, so they had to drive back and forth to the resort. But they were in this beautiful house and they they were just enjoying guy time and, you know, playing cards and all that. And they were going to ski every day. And, And when they woke up the first morning, they looked out and there had been this beautiful snowfall, fresh powder. It was, you know, six, seven inches of fresh powder. And and there were no ski, you know, ski slopes near where they were at, but you could look up the mountain and you could imagine skiing down the mountain. And so uh, on the mountain, they, they're looking at this and, and one of the guys says, hey, what if, what if we actually hike up this mountain and we can carry our skis and our poles on one shoulder and we can carry our ski boots on the other and, and, and we'll hike up in our, in our you know, hiking boots and we'll hike up as far as we can and we can ski down in a place where nobody's been skiing And on that fresh powder, wouldn't that be awesome? And several of the guys said, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. And Jim Buskirk said, I spoke up and I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why in the world would we hike up the mountain when we can drive our car down to the resort and ski up like everybody else? We can take the lifts up and ski down like everybody else. Yeah, but this is fresh powder. And this is a place where people don't get to ski and it's right out our window and and let's just do it. And and finally, four of the guys said, well, we're going to do it. Jim, you don't have to do it. And one of the other guys says, yeah, I'm not going with you guys. You guys are idiots. So, they walked out the door, they, they had their skis and poles on one shoulder, their ski boots on the other, they hiked up the mountain, they started hiking up, and and Jim uh, Jim Busker said, I'm standing there with my other friend, and we're watching up that window, you know, watching out the window, fireplace there, we have our coffee in our hands, and and they're hiking up, and they didn't go up just a little ways, I mean, they kept hiking 30, 45 minutes, they hiked up the mountain, we could almost hardly see them, they were so small by the time they got high enough, and, and then we could tell they stopped, and they sat down on the ground, and the whole time they're hiking up there, we're talking about how stupid they are, and how dumb that was, and how we're glad we're standing here, where it's warm, in the front of the fireplace with our coffee, and and then he said, you know, they put on their skis and they put their hiking boots over their shoulder and they began to ski down the mountain. We could see them, you know, swishing back and forth and the, and the, and the powder flying behind them. And, and, you know, they're skiing for what seemed like an eternity as they're coming down the mountain. And then we could hear them as they got closer. And I mean, they're shouting and yelling as they're coming in there, whooping and hollering. And, and finally they came in the house. They planted their skis out front. And they came inside the house and I'm like, guys, you missed it. That was the best part. That was the best skiing we've ever done. It was the coolest thing. And they, and they couldn't stop talking about how awesome it was to hike up the mountain and ski down. And Jim said, my buddy and I, all we could do was sit there in silence, wishing that we had actually hiked up the mountain with them. There's things that happen in life, and we make excuses for why we won't participate, why we won't, you know, can't be a part of it, whether it's something like hiking up the mountain or participating in a capital campaign. And and then uh, let me just tell you what's going to happen. So uh, the building plans at all of our locations will get approved after the capital campaign by the cities, and that'll that'll be in January or February. And then somewhere in March or April, somewhere in that time frame, we're going to have a groundbreaking in some of the locations where we're going to you know get the shovels out, and we're going to celebrate after church and, and break ground. And others we're going to we're going to go in and we're going to tear down sheetrock, and maybe we'll all have you know take a chance of pulling out a little sheetrock. We're going to renovate some space, and and so that's going to happen. And then and then you know we're going to pray over those spaces. And then and then there's going to come the day where we're going to go in and we sign our names on the walls, you know, in the new buildings. This is what we do at Resurrection. We sign our names and we write our prayers and blessings and anybody can do it. But the people who, you know, who gave something to that are going to feel differently about this. Like, I, I helped make this possible. And, you know, so we write our prayers and we seal them up in the walls and they're there forever. And, and, and then there's going to come the day where it's almost finished and we go in and we pray and we see it where it's nearly done. And then finally it's, it's ready and there's a ribbon and we cut the ribbon and we go in and we dedicate the spaces and we anoint them with oil and we give them to God. And, and, then, and then pretty soon you start watching what's happening in those spaces. And, and, and when all of this happens, you know, when you're a part of the folks who made it possible, you look at it differently. Like you go, I got to be a part of that. I got to create that space. I invested in that space. And I want everybody to celebrate, whether you invested in it or not. I mean, it's okay if you can't afford to help it any way, but, but for most of us, we could do something. Maybe it's giving up a cup of coffee every week or something, but you know, we can do something. And, and for many of us, we can do a lot more than that. I just wanna encourage you to consider being a part of it, not missing out on the joy. We're gonna make it no matter what, but yeah, at least I hope and pray. We do need you, but I wanna encourage you, don't miss out on the joy. Of being a part of making one of these projects or these projects happen at one or one or the other of our locations. If you're online, we want you to look at the location that you most feel connected to or you're closest to or you're most likely to go to if you're here in Kansas City. And, uh, and if you live outside of Kansas City and you say, I'm never going to be there and I'm not really interested in doing this, we're going to be doing something in November for those of you who might want to help us in this campaign, reaching people in other cities and expanding our online reach. You can sign up for that at core.org slash next today. You'll see there's a place to say, I'm interested in the online campaign. I'd like for you to notice that but I don't want you to miss out. In First Chronicles 29, we read these words. Uh, David says, who am I? This is after he looks at everything that had happened. He prays and he says, who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly? Because you see, they gave so generously that they could build the temple. They gave enough to build the temple. Who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give so willingly? Since everything comes from you, we have given you that which comes from your own hand. And in the end, that's what we recognize when it comes to generosity and our giving is that we're returning to God a portion of what God has blessed us with. And when we do that, it's a way of blessing God and investing in God's work. And that's what we're gonna do today. All right, so I wanna end with this idea of passing on our faith from generation to generation. That's what 1 Chronicles 22 through 29 was really all about. And all of these projects we've talked about were ways of trying to do that. And I wanted you to have a chance to hear from one of our members who was here from the very beginning. So Jack and Martha Highfill were, uh, Martha was there on the very first Sunday that resurrection started, the first Sunday in October, 1990. Again, I was 20, I think I was 26 years old by that time. Uh, Jack and uh, Martha came the first week. She told Jack, you got to come with me the next week. And Jack and Martha became stalwarts. If you think about the idea of a pillar in a congregation, they became those. It wasn't that they were extravagantly wealthy. They were just solid people who gave their time and their talent and their resources. They, they tithe their entire life. They had always given their first 10% to God. And, and that was really important. They gave their, not just their, their money, but they gave their time. And Anyway, uh, Jack was a part of the first building committee to build our very first building, the Wesley Covenant Chapel. And, uh, and as he came to know what we were doing here, he said, I want to be a part of this again. He's contributed, and he and Martha contributed to every capital campaign. Martha passed away earlier this year after a long battle with dementia. And I love these two people. And they've been a pivotal part of what's made everything else here possible. And I want you to have a chance to hear from Jack as he talks about his faith. Take a listen. If you were to tell them who Jesus is to you, what would you say?
2: He's my Savior. He's the one that I turn to when I go to God every every day uh, in prayer. He's there for me, and He answers those prayers. I just like serving any way I can. And for many couple, what, how many years that Martha needed my help, I couldn't do that, and I'm now trying to get back into that service. I would say each one of the building committees was a very high you know, very high point for me. All the videos that are shown, I'm out there with a shovel full of dirt and I love serving on the staff parish. One of the reasons that Martha and I ended up coming here, not only a preacher, but when we come we saw children. Little kids running around and screaming in, in, in the McGilly Chapel. In the church that we left, there was no kids there. And I think it's vital to keep a church alive, because I've watched church die. To keep a church alive, you've got to have a youth program. And this generations to generations is what we're going to strive to do and will do through that campaign. Looking over my life, uh, the years that the 34 years, at uh, Church of the Resurrection, it meant everything to me. Martha and I have you know, been here, she's been very active, or was very active, and uh, it's meant everything to me. Well, I want to see Resurrection continue to be the church that people around the United States and maybe around the world look up to. And he was building a, a facility that would bring in young people, teenagers, and keep this church young and vital.
1: What Jack described is happening at all of our locations. And part of what I appreciated when Jack was telling me the story was remembering, I'd forgotten, that he'd been in a church where there were no more children. And what drew him here was seeing children. And what he wants to do is make sure that there are children and teenagers here for years and years to come. I love that man. And I'm so grateful for him. And this, for him, is his 10th capital campaign to participate in at Resurrection. This church is built upon people like Jack, who gave of themselves, who sacrificed, in order to create the spaces and the online technology and everything else for us to be able to reach people that we're reaching today, for you to be a part of this congregation. All right, I want to turn to uh, David's last psalm in the book of Psalms. So in the book of Psalms, 73 psalms attributed to David. The very last one is Psalm 145. And I, I imagine that he would have written this about the same time that he was giving his uh, part of his estate to build the temple and asking his son to remember the faith. And he says this, one generation, he's praising God, one generation will praise your works to the next one. Proclaiming your mighty acts to them. They will talk all about the glorious splendor of your majesty. They will speak of the power of your awesome deeds. I love that, that it's important for us to pass on the faith from generation to generation. Psalm 78, which has been our theme psalm this month, has said the same thing that we are to tell of God's glorious deeds to future generations, and they in turn tell them to their generation so that generations yet to be born will know the goodness and glory of God all right, 17, 16 years ago. So 16 years ago today, it was our 17th anniversary. It wasn't any particularly big anniversary, but 17 years. So from 1990 to 2007, it was the first weekend in October. And on that weekend, I preached a sermon inviting people to pass on the faith to future generations. Just like I'm talking about today. It was kind of surprising. It wasn't a capital campaign. It was just, we have to be willing to share our faith with future generations. And uh and on that weekend, one of our founding members, another of our founding members was there. I'm sure Jack and Martha were there, but uh, but Joyce Raquina. And I mentioned her a couple of months ago because she passed away. She was again one of those founding members. She had three small children with her. You see her picture here, and uh, and this one, a couple of pictures there. And that was Joyce and her family. Was a single mom who started coming to our church when we first began, and. Uh, and on that Sunday, 17 years later, those little girls were now, two of them were in college and, and one of them was, I think, in high school. I don't remember exactly, but, you know, they, they were all, uh, you know, actually, I think they were all in college or out of college. And, and on that Sunday, I said, I'd like for you to go home. So this is my assignment for you today. Is I the same assignment. I said, I'd like for you to go home. I'd like you to write a note to write your testimony. I'd like for you to write down a letter for your children or your grandchildren, or your nieces, or your nephews, or your friends who survive you. I want you to write down a note to them, and I want you to tell them what your faith means to you. I want you to tell them what your church means to you. Describe that for them, and then give them a copy if you want to, but keep a copy of it with your will. So your will is your last will and testament, but really your last testament will be your testimony, will be you sharing your faith. And, and so when Joyce died a couple of months ago, And her daughters, who are now all grown up in their 30s and 40s, came to my office so we could plan her funeral service. They handed me this letter. They found it among her things. And for them, it was once more a testimony after Joyce's death to her faith. I want to share with you just a little bit of it. She talks about, as I remember over the last 17 years, there've been so many wonderful opportunities for ministry and growth in my life. She talked about grow, growing up attending church, but never really knew Christ and what a relationship with Christ was really all about. She talked about how her family felt welcomed. The single mom with these three little kids felt welcomed when they walked in the, in the doors of the church the very first time and how involved they became and, and how involved she became. A small group, she was in Sunday school, choir, missions, women and children's conferences, weekend campouts, all of this, and she said, when I joined Church of the Resurrection, it was a very stressful time in my life. I'd just become a single mom and I had three little girls I was trying to raise. And we needed community. We needed a place for our child, For my children. I needed a place for them and I needed a place for me. These were some of the children that Jack saw when he first started coming to Church of the Resurrection and was drawn was, was uh, Joyce's children, Emily, Laura, and Mary. And then she talked about how faith had played such an important role in creating a foundation for her children's life, for her children's lives, and how, f- how through her faith at resurrection, it made me stronger by being involved in the different ministries and in worship over these 17 years. And she left this as a testimony for Emily, Laura, and Mary. I love the fact that this is what they found when they began to prepare for her funeral service. I wonder if you might write a testimony for your children or your loved ones or those who come after you. And again, if you want to send it to somebody else, if you want to send a copy here to the church, we'll have it in your file here. But I'd love for you to leave it with your important documents so that at your passing, 20 or 30, that was 16 years ago she wrote this letter, but 20 or 30 years from now or five years from now or 50 years from now, your kids might know the depth of your faith and what it meant to you. I'd like to encourage you to take the time before you go to bed tonight, I'd like for you to take the time to read uh, to write a testimony of your own faith and what this church has meant to you. And you might even put in there your hopes and dreams for the future of this congregation. All right, we said before the building's, are only tools. We don't exist to build buildings, but they are powerful tools when it comes to ministry and mission. And this is what we're aiming to do with the capital campaign. So our regular offering, our our, ca- our campaign, or it's not our campaign, but our commitment card for the regular ministry pays for all of our programs and ministries, worship, and everything else that this church does to impact the world. Thousands and thousands of things that happen every year through this church to care for people, to help them know Christ, to, to help them grow deeper in their faith, to live out their faith in the world, to find healing and hope and help and community. All of that is what you make possible through your, regular commitment. And that's a one-year commitment. But there's also a pledge card attached to that for those of you who are in person. And for those of you online, you'll find this if you want to click on the link in core.org slash next, you'll find there's a pledge card for the capital campaign, a three-year pledge. Over the next three years, you might give up a cup of coffee every day at Starbucks, or you might give up, think of what you might give up or what you might be able to give or how you could be a part of making these spaces possible, being a part of this journey with us and investing in the lives of people whose lives will be changed. And I'd love to invite you to fill out that commitment card today as well. We're going to do that in just a moment. But I want to wrap up with this story. In 1993, we held our first capital campaign. So we were three years old. Our first capital campaign was called Lift High the Cross. And we were going to build our very first building here at Resurrection, what's now the Wesley Covenant Chapel. You can see a picture of it on the screen. And this chapel is, was our very first building and has served us well for the last 29 years. I thought about all the sacrifices people made to build that building and then the thousands and thousands of people whose lives have been impacted inside that building. And it was our sanctuary for four years. Then it became a narthex for six years. Then it became a temporary chapel for the next 19 years. And now it's getting ready to turn into a counseling center here at Resurrection and our pastoral care department and a small chapel and the main entryway and welcome center into building C. You can see it in this rendering here. And so it's going to become that. It will have been three different things over its lifetime. time. And that's probably the last thing it's going to be is what you see there on the screen. But I remember when we went to build this in 1993, Lift High the Cross campaign, and one of the members of the building committee was Julie Robinson. Now, Julie, is, when I first met her, was a trial attorney and had a very specific role in the courts. And, and then she was appointed by, by uh, or she was nominated by President George Bush for the district court in Kansas. And she has been, uh, she's had an illustrious career in law, but she was a part of the building committee at the time. And we interviewed her to say, why is this important, this giving to this first building? And she's on the building committee once more today, and she is also making a commitment to this campaign. And I just thought you might enjoy hearing a bit of her story. Take a listen.
3: My children have both been introduced to this church at very young ages, and my hope is that they will grow up in this church and that this, hopefully, unless they move, will be their home church and that it will be as much you know, an ongoing part of their lives as, as their family is. Hopefully the people that will be here 100 years from now will be just as excited about continuing the church and having it grow and having its ministries grow. and. Um, That makes me feel really good. I don't think there will be too many other things I can point to on earth except maybe perhaps my children's children that will be a legacy that I really have something to do with. We came to resurrection the first time we visited, and I knew this was it, and um, we kept coming back. What I quickly realized, though, is that I needed this church as much as they did. I needed to be in a faith community. I needed to learn, I needed to study, I needed to grow, and all of those things began to happen almost immediately. My hope then, 32 years ago, was that this church would grow and would continue to be a strong faith community. My hope was that my children's children would come to know Christ in this place and would grow in their faith in this place.
4: My, my earliest memories of resurrection are probably like vacation Bible school, Sunday school. Uh, I have early memories of going to like summer programming and things like that. Uh, I have a lot of memories of being in student ministries here. So starting in sixth grade, I think I attended my first summer uh, youth front and going to camp. And back then it was Surge, the middle school mission trips in the summer. Um, and then going on high school mission trips and then as a high schooler volunteering with middle school programming and so from there I I left and went to college but then came back um, a few years after college and started attending resurrection downtown and it was during my time there that I met my now husband and then after we got married in 2020 uh, here at Wesley Chapel we moved a bit closer to the Leewood location and so we've now been involved here and uh, when we got married I said there were some like key things I wanted us to do as a married couple I said I want us to be in a small group I want us to volunteer more um, and then I want to just, you know, be overall more involved in the church. And so those have been things that we've done. It's just been kind of this like full circle of growing up here at Leewood, leaving, going to another location and not coming back. And I feel like getting back to the areas that I used to participate in. Our purpose is not just what happens here today, but it's what happens in the future. And so, you know, for me, everything that I learned as I was growing up here has applied to my life. And now I continue to learn here every day. And I try to live my life the way that we live here at Resurrection, of it's not about us; it's it's bigger than us. Uh, so this is my daughter Charlotte. She's now two months old, uh, and you know my hopes and dreams for Resurrection are that the experience I had is an experience that Charlotte gets to have. You know, I grew up here. Um, I met my husband here. I got married here, and now I I continue to live my adult life here. Uh, and my hope for Charlotte is she follows that same path. It's been an incredible blessing to be a part of this
3: community and to see my children grow up to be people of faith, and to now watch my daughter and son-in-law nurture little Charlotte in her faith and to know that she's going to learn Bible stories here. And then she's going to dive deeper as she gets older into Bible study. And she's going to see a lot of people around here that model for her what it means to be a Christian in your daily life. It's really exciting for me. I just can't wait to see it all unfold.
1: I love that story because it captures exactly what we're talking about this month is we pass on our faith the best we can to our children and help them grow up in the church and help them grow in faith. And sometimes they wander away for a while and we hope they come back. And as they come back, then they start thinking about raising their own children in the church and, and, and the hopes and dreams they have or the hopes and dreams their parents had before them. And, and we pass on our faith from generation to generation. And that's what we're doing today. So at all of our locations, we're gonna invite you to fill out a commitment card. And for those of you, again, online, you'll find a link that you can click on at core.org slash next. And on the left side is your annual ministry fund. This is what you give to make possible the ministry of the church. This is your, your tithes and your offerings. And then you open it up and you find the generation to generation commitment and a chance for you to make a commitment over the next three years to create spaces where children will grow in their faith and their children will grow in their faith and the world will be changed. I want to invite you to be a part of that today and to find great joy in what you do. Would you bow in prayer with me? God, thank you so much for all of those who came before us. These pillars in our congregation, Joyce who raised her girls in the church and Jack and Martha and for Julie and and her family and, and for so many others who invested in 1993 to create the first space for this church to meet in, a space that's had a huge impact in the years since then. And for all of those who came before it, all of the locations that we have uh, campuses at, Resurrection West and Resurrection Downtown, Resurrection Blue Springs and Resurrection Overland Park and Resurrection Brookside, for the foundry service, Leewood, and the sanctuary and the chapel, for all of these. And for all of those who join us online and for the people who invested in in that technology and, and gave of themselves to be able to create TV and online worship experiences for people across the country and around the world, thank you for all of them. And we pray that you would help us to join them in giving generously to you this day, just a portion of what you've given to us, that you'd help us to honor you with our tithes, help us to sacrifice as David and the people of his day did in our capital campaign commitment and use all of this for your glory. And so that generations yet to come would come to know you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit CORE.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.